and a very good Monday morning to you. This is Nicole DeVincentis. Welcome to our podcast today. Today's topic is a little bit of a Monday motivation, if you would. And on this podcast, we actually don't work to get you all jacked up with motivation. When we speak motivation, number one, we actually believe that motivation is a responsibility. Yes, I'll say that again. Motivation is a responsibility. And our goal on the podcast is to shorten that time period between what we call idea inception and execution. All right, so shorten the time period between when you have an idea, this is what I want to do, and bam, I'm already in action on it, okay? Because think about this, how many times have you thought, oh, I'd like to start working out, oh, I'd like to start eating better, oh, I'd like to revamp some of the stuff that's happening inside of my organization, oh, I'd like to get my finances situated, oh, I'd like to ask that girl out, Uh, I'd like to blah, 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 blah. And then there's this lag time. And then in that time, you find 3,000 other things to do and or the negative committee like pipes up in your head and you basically talk yourself out of it. Only to leave yourself even more disappointed and frustrated at the end of the day which continues on every single day, and then by the end of the calendar year, you've still not taken any action. Even though you may be listening to motivating podcasts or any other sort of audiovisual thing. You're not alone. (laughs) And again, at one point or another, everybody is victim to that. It's where you choose to stay. If you choose to stay a victim or if you are choosing to become a victor. Ooh versus Victor. Which one are you? All right, so this is what it looks like. We're going to talk today, see it and seize it. Okay, so what that's in reference to is actually your goals. Okay, so let's think about this. No city was ever captured, right? If this was wartime, no battle was ever won in anything, whether this is wartime, this is whether it's some sort of a race or a campaign right? Nothing like that was ever done. Like nothing really great was ever accomplished without at least one person having an idea, which then became a goal, which then required people to implement a plan. And they took massive action until they got what they wanted, right? It's pretty much, that's basically how it is. But in order to actually seize it, you have to actually first see it. Because the one thing that is true in all dimensions is that your body will never go places that your mind has not previously traveled. So in order for you to actually get the goal, achieve the goal, your mind has to have already at least at one point traveled through that space. And the more often you visit that with your mind and the more real you can actually make it, actually the easier it becomes to move in that direction going to tie in a little bit of what we've done with our earlier podcast in terms of your subconscious mind and how fun and cool it is to use that as a leverage point to train your brain into what we call a state of expectancy. What? Back the bus up. (laughs) All right. So where do we even begin? This is a giant topic. 
I always feel kind of like pressured, like how do I get all this information out? Well, what I would say is this, go back to our earlier podcasts, and I think some of them, one of them is uh, called Everything is Energy. Um, There was a whole string of these podcasts where we talked a little bit more in detail about the subconscious mind, and this this is the caption of it, okay? So... You sitting here listening to this, all right, we're just going to talk like uh, anatomy, if you would, of the body, a little bit about the brain, and how you can actually use it to change your mindset so that the push towards your goal isn't a struggle. It doesn't mean you're not going to have obstacles, but it's not going to be like you have to like convince yourself to do it. And it's been so hard. We want to make it easy. We want to make things easy, right? We want to make them simple. So that you're in, you're in flow. Okay, and here's what you need to know. That you sitting here listening to this podcast, you're using what we call your conscious mind. Wherever you are, or maybe if you're walking. Like you're sitting, you're walking, you're standing, you're driving. You're listening. You're aware of this, okay? That's your conscious mind. Even though you may zone out from time to time, like you're, you're aware that you're, that you're living. Okay, you're aware of your surroundings somehow. You're aware of the fact that you're, you're drifting off into la-la land. Like, that's using your conscious mind. There's this really cool dimension of your brain called the subconscious mind. And it's not a structure in there. It's just, you know, this little place, if you would, that is one of the strongest programming portions of your entire brain. And it's actually the structure, actually the portion that people who have achieved massive success will train sometimes even unknowingly in order to reach their goals exponentially okay so this is what you need to know this is this um, subconscious mind rather excuse me is like a super receiver and anything that comes in through your senses especially what you see especially what you hear your subconscious mind takes in an incredible amount of information it's very very sensitive to that information But here's the thing, it does not know the difference between fact and fiction. It actually believes everything that you allow into it. Okay, so this could be something good, like if you surround it with positive information, right? Stuff that's growth oriented and you just like being around happy, peppy people or just, you know, possibilities talking about the future and and talking about how change is possible and and whatever you know whatever genre this is in you know it's that positivity you become actually more positive just because you're surrounding your brain and infusing it with that negative with the positivity rather what it does is it programs your conscious mind into like this is the normal Whereas when you flood it with negativity, and this can come in a variety of different sources, if you're around people who complain, if you watch the news, all right, the way that a lot of it is broadcasted with, I mean, watch it. There's nothing but crime and destruction and a lot of times gossip and slander and oftentimes a very skewed viewpoint. 
sometimes even like the weather people <laughs> you're like wow it was kind of like a negative <laughs> or maybe it's just because i live in chicago and our weather is pretty negative i don't know <laughs> what i'm saying is that you know that you know video game content when we look at children you know when they're exposed to massive amounts of what is actually violence in the video games and we, I think we're just so immune to it, we don't necessarily classify it as that, but shooting and killing and people exploding and going to get, you know, people, like, that starts to program, or certain types of music, you know, where, you, where, you know, killing people is glorified, drugs is glorified, sex is glorified, that becomes your normal, it starts to program your brain. So the thing about the subconscious mind is that it can be used to the positive or to the negative, which is cool to know when you're looking to improve your particular station, you're looking to recreate yourself, you're looking to do something different with inside of your organization, there's already a key point. It's what are you allowing into your subconscious mind or what are you introducing to your organization? Right, this is, this is what I've learned, that um, I used to do a lot of training in the fire service, and please hear this message correctly, I love those individuals, they have a lot of good traditions, and they have a lot of good, good-hearted roots within them, but there was a time, and this could have been, you know, I was with them mostly during the times of economic downturn, and they're affected greatly by that, because most of the places around where I was working, their salary comes from, essentially from the public, like the, the public paying their taxes, and so then obviously when we saw, you know, after 9-11, and we saw the crash of the real estate market, then people were defaulting on, you know, their loans, and they were defaulting in, in cycles, because they had, you know, armed mortgages, and they were coming to term, and they couldn't, you know, afford it, because they had gotten laid off, or they were underemployed, and blah, 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 and then what we were seeing in the fire service was, um, they were either having to lay guys off or, you know, not hire them back for overtime. We were seeing, you know, understaffing and it was like this whole, you know, pouring out uh, amidst the fact and they had, you know, less money to operate with and, you know, they wanted raises as other, you know, all industries do and the community didn't want their money shoveled over there and it was this whole entire thing that was very, very, very negative place to be. But there were a few chiefs that wanted to do something to infuse, like to, to spark, you know, positivity with inside of, of their place. And I'll tell you, as an instructor, and this was before I was invited to come in as, you know, a consultant or a change agent or a coach, is, man, you can just see the day and night effects of when you remove yourself from negativity and you enter a space like you don't even have to speak to anybody you can just you can feel it as you approach and it can be super super hard when you have this grandiose vision for where either you want your life to go or you can see 
you know, I, if they wanted me to kind of restructure this educational program, you know, how to do it correctly, like from the ground up, but how much resistance you can actually meet when people are programmed to be negative and think like worst case scenario all the time, which is part of, you know, what they do. They always like pre-plan for like the worst case scenario so that they're ready to serve and protect the communities which they do serve. But, you know, it can have a detrimental effect as well. So what I'm saying is that when you're looking to install change, so for you as a leader within an organization or even within your family, you've got to be very mindful and intentional about, number one, making sure that you're programming yourself because you're out there doing the dirty work. You're out there doing the scuff work. You're out there the one as the one who's trying to make the change and if you're not right your people aren't going to be right because you cannot expect that if you want to call them your subordinates your employees your downline or whomever are going to have any more buoyancy or resiliency amidst negative trials if you don't have it People will always follow the leader in every single way. If the leader executes quickly, the team executes quickly. As long as you have the right people on the team. Okay, and we talked about that in one of the earlier podcasts, Know Your Players. Oh wait, I think that was the one that got cut off. I think so. All right, well, more information on that later. (laughs) Here we go, post-it note of things to do. But in all things, that your team or your people follow your cadence. So if you are positive, typically just by who you are and the actions that you take and probably what you eat and if you work out and how you mitigate stress and how you command your emotionality and how you are buoyant and resilient in the face of adversity, your team watches what you do and they in turn become the same. Now, when you are building out that infrastructure of your organization, all right, so let's say you you started a company and you did the hard work. You went out into the jungle, you cut down the vines, you chopped down the trees, you leveled the land, you pulled up the weeds, you cut out and, you know, shaped up like the the framing of of this this building that you want to build, figuratively or literally. And when it comes time, you know, you put stuff up and now you're in business and you're making money and, and things are moving and you're trying to grow and expand, you still have to build that infrastructure. Because now if you step over and you come over here expecting that your team is just going to kind of keep things going without you having some sort of a system, continued training, continued education, and maintenance of the culture and the expectations, the tendency of people, people right now are just freaking groomed to be negative. 100%. Every, like, that thing like misery loves company. And the way that things are changing today is that everyone is sharing their story. And I've done so actually only because (laughs) the marketing people like Gary Vee, he was like, make sure, you know, tell your story. That's the point of connection. But for me, I don't like to complain. Like for me, my story has built me into what is many times perceived by women or even men as like this this fearless and strong and like invincible person and that's 
for me, that's like ridiculous. <laughs> like I can't even like, I, I just, I don't see it that way. I may have accomplished certain things, but I live with myself every day. And I, you know, I always have more goals or I, I'm really my harshest critic that even though I may do this, I turn right back around and I will punch holes in my performance, punch holes in all the mistakes that I made. And I will, I swear to God, like that's, that's how I operate. So I don't believe in complaining. And for me, droning on and on and on about your history or this struggle or that struggle, I've, I'm more of a person that I prefer. Like if you're, if this is how I view it, if your position sucks and I don't care what space you're operating in, if you're unhappy there, you do something about it and get yourself the fuck out of there. That's how I coach myself. And I say that I know that that's harsh coming across, but honest to God, and I, this, this can be directly attributed to my past. You know, you're unhappy living in the city where, you know, you've got freaking gangbangers shooting up each other, you know, in the back alley, okay? Produce your way out. Oh, I am. I'm in nursing school. Great. Okay? Oh, shit. You just got held at gunpoint? Okay, well, you probably shouldn't be living in that neighborhood anyway. you got to get the fuck out of there, girl. So what do you got to do? you got to probably make more money and you got to control your spending. Produce your way out. Oh, you're tired of crying because you think that you have like a fat ass and you don't like how you look in the mirror? Well, produce your way out. Freaking go work out, watch what you're eating, and produce your way out of that misery. You know, so for me, and that's probably, you know, that's probably like a point of disconnect where I have with a lot of people that for me growing up, we just simply didn't have time to cry in our cornflakes about things. <laughs> I think, you know, when you're growing up and, and you are in survival mode, or even as an adult, when you're in survival mode, you don't have time to cry about it. You just, you know, cry if you gotta, but then, you know, you gotta pick yourself back up because <laughs> what, if the rent is due, you gotta go get groceries, or you can't, you can't be addicted to the struggle. And that's actually one of the things where I, I, I do have some concern about this whole story sharing is that I know that a lot of people want to find someone to connect with. And I see, you know, now that we're definitely more on social media, we're more on electronic devices, and just that human nature of connection, of regular conversation, unless you work in a place where there's people. And even then, it just seems like there's so much disconnect between people at the heart level that I feel like everybody's reaching out for some sort of place of belonging. And I'll tell you, like, from the get-go, like, I always felt that way. I, I never felt that I actually belonged anywhere until I got to some of my jobs. That when I, I think when I worked as a waitress, and it would have been uh, at the Olive Garden when I was in college, that would have been the place, um, Loyola. But after that, I never really felt like I belonged anywhere else leading up to or after that place until I opened and started my own company. And that sort of a walk when you're by yourself, so that was like my normal. And I remember that was my pain point. That was what I always cried to my mom about. And it was, I, it must have been really hard for her to receive because I'm her kid and here I am telling her that I don't feel like I belong and she's, you know, doing everything that she can 
to, I'm her daughter, like I'm, we're, I'm part of the family, but I didn't feel that I belonged there, you know what I'm saying, and so, I forgot where I was going with that, oh, the whole misery loves company thing is that you cannot become addicted to the struggle, right, it's, it's one thing to learn, you know, what built people up, and it's, it's interesting, I think, to learn about how their mind works, and, um, I remember when I was reading, it was a biography about Steve Jobs, and there was a lot of parallel between how he thought, as reported by, you know, these different people in his life, um, and how I thought, and it was, that was actually, I remember that, I was reading that, and thought, wow, okay, I'm not the only person who feels like this, and so there was that sense of validation, but it was, it was fleeting, I guess you could say. I, I guess I didn't feel like I was the skew on the bell curve anymore. There was more probably weirdos, <laughs> weirdos like me. But aside from that, it always comes back to you still have to have goals for yourself. And by goals, I, I personally, I don't write my goals out. If you, like, I teach people how to set goals now. I teach people how to get their shit together. I teach people how to, you know, get organized, you know, mentally or in their organization or, you know, do a whole, like, life transformation. I, I can teach those skill sets. But when I personally set goals and do my goals, you know, review, I don't get out a piece of paper and look back and say, oh, this is what I did and this is what I'm doing. I never have. I had to learn how to do that skill so I could teach it. The way that I set goals is actually via what we call intentionality. I just, I, I can't even describe it. It's just a, like, it, it's idea execution. That's literally how my brain works. And I'm pretty sure if you talk to my brother, Carl, it would be very, very similar. And um, so in order to teach a skill set, I had to, I guess, like, take it apart and figure out, like, what seems so logical to me is not logical to other people. And therefore, that's why I talk about goals all the time, is because oftentimes people are very, very brilliant. They're just caught up in the fact that they either don't recognize how much work it's going to take, or they're so overwhelmed by the magnitude of the goal or the intention or the thing that they want to do or achieve is it's so big that they find themselves overwhelmed and disappointed and hesitant to take any action and just procrastinate the whole entire time. Whereas I never was, you know, that's not really how I operate. And so for me, I had, there was a big learning curve that had to go into place, but it comes into the fact, like, in order for you to actually seize your goal, you have to see it. So for me, it was only through podcasting that I learned or I guess discovered what I knew all the time about myself and that when I was, you know, in, in that place to, to become a, a flight nurse, my goal was not just to be a flight nurse. And it wasn't even to be just the best flight nurse at that particular program. Like my goal, honest to God, was to be the best practitioner regardless of licensure. That's what I was preparing for. That's what I was studying for. That's what I was working extra hours for. 
that's why I worked extra, you know, every weekend, every single holiday, all around the clock. That's why I put myself in with the craziest, sickest patients that I could possibly expose myself to so I could learn every single thing. That's why I picked the brains of all the doctors. That's why I picked the brains of all the flight, flight crew. That's why I watched all, you know, we had stuff like lectures recorded on a, a videotape at the time from some of the most brilliant medical minds who were doing like just high level stuff because I wanted to be the best. That was how it was. But before I ever even got to that point, I'm telling you, there was two things that I could actually visualize so clearly in my mind. One was putting the flight suit on. Before I ever put one on, I did not put a flight suit on until <laughs> my first day, which was actually 6-6 of 06. <laughs> 6 6 6 right? <laughs> you want to talk about how much freaking re religious uh, paraphernalia I had, like 12 rosaries <laughs> to stick in the pocket of my flight suit because it started on 666. It's so funny. But I'm telling you, the, the second I put my leg in the flight suit, it felt normal to me. My mind had already traveled through that space so many times that I could feel like, you know, when you put pants on, like you can feel the weight of the pants and like the, the friction of the material on your skin. I could feel it. So for me to put that thing on, even though it, it, it wasn't like customized or tailored to me, it fit like a glove because it felt like it was supposed to be there. And then therefore me transferring into that role was not that big of a stretch because it was so freaking real to me. And all of the bullshit that I went through to get into that spot, and again, I want to remind you, like I went back and did, I call them tours, I was with them three separate occasions, all three of which were during times when the program was just in incredible turmoil, and they wanted somebody who was going to be able to make order and operate at a high level amidst all of the chaos. That was, it wasn't just clinical expertise. Again, there we go. It was organizational leadership right there. That it was because of where I had seen myself with that goal. I had visualized it. The difference is that I didn't romanticize the vision. I saw it. I let myself experience it. I let myself feel the feels of it, but you have to snap out of it and then you've got to get into execution. So then here comes your plan. You know, what are my goals? Okay, this is what I got to do. I know that I need to have five years, three to five years of perfect care experience. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, that means now I work in cardiology. I got to get my ass down to the emergency room or to an ICU so that I can get over to the helicopter. Okay, great. I got to have pediatric experience. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, if I go to the ICU, I'm not going to get peds experience. I got to get down to that damn ER. Okay, I got to have OB experience. Well, how am I going to do that? If I go to the ICU, I'm not going to get it. I got to get down to that ER. So it ultimately, it was, it was looking at what did you need to do in order to get that goal so you could live the vision. 
then you put that intention out there. Now, I always liked ER. I liked the show. You know, ER was a show, and I liked that fast pace, so I knew I would work there at one point, but there was a state of expediency, like urgency behind it. Like, I needed to get down there, and fortunately, so I just, like, I knew I was going to go. I, I didn't know how I was going to get there, but actually what happened was <laughs> a friend of mine uh, ended up transferring down there before I did, and she spoke to the manager, and next thing I know, <clears throat> I'm in the manager's office, and she's inviting me to come down. At a time when new graduates were really, it, we weren't accepted down there readily. So I think I went down there after 18 months of, of becoming a nurse. What I'm saying is, you put the intention out there. That's what that is. That's a, it's a whole different level of goal setting, but it's intentionality. And now it's not just like you have this willy-nilly goal, which is kind of like a resolution. This is what I'm going to do. Like, this is my intention. My intention is to become the freaking best practitioner. Even though I tell you I didn't know that's what it was until later in the game. But that's honestly the program that I put myself on. And then once I was down there doing my whole like, okay, what's my strength? What's my weakness? My weakness is neuro. My weakness is peds. My weakness is trauma. My weakness is OB. Girl, you got your work cut out for you. Get to work. Pick up as many shifts as you can on the busiest shifts that you can and freaking work your face off. And even if it's not your patient, make sure that you get into that patient's room so that you can see, touch, and learn as much as you can. Right? And that's how, that's how you operate. But it starts out with you having to see what that goal is so that you can seize it. You start with that impossible thing. I want to be the best practitioner. Well, that's cool. I'm a new graduate. I have no nursing experience up to this point. <laughs> According to many hospital recruiters uh, who told me that I wasn't ever even going to get hired because I worked as a waitress and a bartender in college to put myself through. I didn't have nursing experience. Got into the nursing industry at a time when nurses were being laid off. Like nothing worked in my favor. Do you know what I'm saying? What I'm telling you is you have got to, you're, so the motivation is a responsibility. You're having clearly defined goals. You're setting intentions on what it is that you're gonna do. You're responsible for that. Nobody is gonna hold that in front of your face. It comes to you. You've gotta be the one. This is what I'm doing. I have no idea. When I went away to college, you know, away meaning like from the suburbs and the suburbs of Chicago down to the city of Chicago, um, but I elected to stay close because again, my stepdad was sick, that I had no idea how the F I was gonna pay for it. None. I applied for public aid, or not public aid, financial aid, excuse me, financial aid. And, um, I had actually, you know, just used, I lived with my mom. My dad had always paid, had always paid child support, but then that caps off when you're 18 years old. So there was never expectation for him to pay for college. So when you apply for financial aid, he wasn't going to be contributing to my, to my educational fund at that point. It was going to be me, but I didn't have a credit history, so I didn't qualify for loans. It was such a weird system, that whole financial aid thing. 
so you're making all these calls with the brochures office and you know I qualified for numerous grants because well my family that I lived with my mom and my stepdad like didn't we didn't earn a lot of income so I was awarded different grants and what happened I don't even know how this happened somehow somehow the brochures office found out about my dad I don't know how that happened I I I, to this day, I don't even know. And what they did was they started, they worked his income into into my, um, whatever you call it, into my case. And then all the grants that I had were actually taken away because they made this, the, the statement like, well, here's your dad, you've got to pay. And they don't listen to, well, he's not going to pay. They didn't. I don't know how this ever even came to be. All I know is that I got a letter, you know, suddenly, like from the grocery's office. Cause, and then they address it to the student on top of it. So when you get, when you're like, you know, 18 years old, <laughs> oh my God, and it's your first it's your first week away at school, you know, and you're under the, the presumption that, you know, you've got this semester, you know, on lockdown because you've gotten all these grants. And then one weekend, all of a sudden you get this bill for whatever it was, tens, tens of thousands of dollars, whatever it was, or $6,000. I forget. It was such a long time ago. And like, you've got $200 in your savings account. Like You're like, oh, <laughs> I can't tell you like how many times I called my mom at home, <laughs> just bawling like. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that you know you get in there and then you take that blind leap of faith and then you know fortunately you know my mom obviously being an adult you know was able to you know at that time school loans were different and she established a relationship with one guy who handled student loans at one particular bank and you know we marched each semester out after that but the point of the matter is that when you commit to something like you commit with your full entire ass you don't know you don't know how you're going to do it but you still have to see yourself at the end it's always like navigation starts with the end in mind and then you work it backwards all right so for me to graduate i'm thinking what do i have to do academically and now all of a sudden i'm having to think of like what do i have to do financially to achieve that you know what i'm saying so you're wearing two different hats and you're always having to work it backwards okay well now I can't live a life like the rest of the college kids I, I have to get a job and I'm not gonna be able to live inside the dorms this is like way too expensive now I gotta get an apartment well, I can't afford an apartment by myself so now I'm gonna get roommates okay great so now I've got three roommates but inside this system here like nobody knows how to pay bills and so now we got to divide the bills up and now like so you you figure out how to work it out but you have to have like that end goal and that has to be something that you hold inside of your heart and inside of your mind all the time and you're constantly assessing your progress on the way towards it enter the timeline like how you know how expedient are you moving through this thing it hurts worse if you go too slow 
that's why I'm about idea execution, idea execution. I believe in like firmly, like well thought out plans. I believe you have to have, you know, systems in place and, and you have to usually allow for more time for training your people, you know, to get things and all the kinks worked out of it. But at the end of the day, you want to have things simple. You want to have, you know, a, a, a plan that you and a, an organized systematic way of doing things because time is of the essence. Time don't wait for nobody. But that's what I'm saying. If you've got in order to seize it, you've got to see it. And that is on the large scale, and that's on the like the micro scale, the tiny, tiny little goals that you set on the, how to run your 24 so that you can then chop off the next piece of pie and move to the next level. Right? So visualize what it is that you want. Like here's where it's cool, all right? So here's here's how you break this down. Okay, and then we're gonna, you know, break out for the day is this is the importance of you having a vision on what it is that you want. Okay, so instead of us just getting all lofty out into the flowery of like, you gotta have a vision, you do have to have a vision, all right? You've gotta be sure that you can see that thing so freaking crystal clear. This is where you bring your senses into the case, okay? Make sure that you see it, you smell it, you taste it, you touch it, the people are there that you feel the feels, everything that's involved in your goal, all right? Now you have emotional investment in it. This is where your subconscious mind becomes so incredibly important because now not only are you gonna flood it with positivity of the things that are gonna support your case for why you can do this, now you have emotion, okay? The subconscious mind does not know the difference between fantasy and reality. So here's where you can start to train the subconscious mind, which then trains and programs your conscious mind, is now if you see this vision and you're visiting it over and over and over and over, and you're letting yourself have those emotions over and over and the emotions of good, the emotions of achievement. What does it feel like to have that much money in your account? What does it feel like to have that family, the family dinners that you want? What does it feel like to have this organization that impacts the world on this level? What does it feel like to be a world traveler? What does it feel like to buy your your first car brand new that is you know a step above just you know economy level like what is this thing for you what does it feel like to have a circle of friends who actually applaud you you know when you have your victories and not be surrounded by bullshit and people who are trying to pull you down like what does that feel like right what's it feel like to fly high like that then you keep on visiting that. Now you have continuation of that goal is in front of your face. You have continuation of those emotions are flooding you. And guess what? This is like, hoo game over. This is done. Now what happens is that subconscious mind, it, it trains your brain. Like, this is normal for me. This is totally normal. So even if you feel like you're miles away from the goal, it doesn't matter anymore because your brain has already been there. It can't be that far. If you can see it inside of your brain, and now you have the feels, that is a powerful dynamic that, that makes you virtually unstoppable. Then it doesn't matter what steps into the road. You're just like, boom, just run that thing over. It doesn't matter what things are flashing on either side of the road. You honestly don't even see it. You are so focused forward and almost to the point of obsessed. 
that's what that's where this becomes like you can see this thing you can taste it you can hear it like the, it is so flipping real to you that as you're making that progress it, it's almost weird because then you look around at your normal life and you're like wait a second this isn't that and then you jump back on the train and like you're going forward again because it's like wait this isn't reality yet. I'm not there yet. Bam, there you go. Now to make a sacrifice and work on a weekend, work on a holiday, stay up a little bit later or wake up a little bit earlier, adhere to your nutrition, get in your workouts, whatever it is, it seems like a non-issue because it is like you're so hell-bent on getting there, but it begins with seeing your goal in order to see it or in order to seize it, excuse me, that took a moment in order to seize it you've got to first see it all right so your assignment your challenge for today should you choose to accept is to take that time okay take five minutes five minutes by yourself and honest to god let your mind give yourself permission to visualize what it is that you want all right no caps nobody can see in there and don't just, oh, this will be good enough. No, 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 no. Take the lid off, freaking put everything in there that you would like to have. If you need inspiration, freaking A, go on Pinterest, you know, go look at a luxury magazine, go go look at people, you know, who are doing the things that you want to do, who have the things that you want to have, all right? Flood your brain with that. Get it, like, if they can have it, you can too. Okay, that includes relationships, that includes money, that includes health and fitness, that includes everything. Okay, there are no limits. It's only you. You're just the lid. All right, so it's time to take your cement shoes off. All right, and let's jump in with our whole ass. <laughs> all right, see it and seize it. All right, make it a great day. Thank you for joining us today. We'll talk to you later. Bye bye.